Oh, oh yeah. Uh, so, Ted, when you address uh, your intro, you'll use this camera. Chugging, got my chips still still. Keep trucking, like the doodah man. The doodah man, that's whatever you're right. Just keep trucking. Uh -huh. Oh, I wish I, I wish I could properly appreciate the Grateful Dead, but I just, <laughs> it just doesn't. There are a couple other songs. You know, cool. I, I. Uh, was sort of in the same boat for a while. Yeah. Not not in terms of the songs. I always liked the songs, but I just I didn't. I I was not one of those people that wanted to follow. Actually, I'm not that way with any group. There are folks that would just follow the group. Oh God, yes. <clears throat> the entire summer of a tour through That's years right. and years. I don't. I get tired. I get tired of the tour I'm on. You know? Yeah. Uh, but there was a, um, there is a, a fellow named Emery Joseph who was, uh, and I did a record with him out in, in the Bay Area. Uh, his songs called Labor and Spirits, and it was really a lot of fun. And after a couple of years, he called and, and after uh, he had gotten permission to do from the Garcia estate to do a record but he didn't want it to be a Grateful Dead right. record or tribute per yeah. se he wanted it to be more about Robert Hunter and, and, mm -hmm. the, and those songs and I was lucky enough to work on that that record uh, Larry Campbell's on it uh, uh, Duke Levine's on it uh, and I really became initiated to what mm -hmm. great songs they are. Yeah, you know? oh yeah. And since then, I've kind of, I, I dig the records more, you know? Yeah, yeah. I get it. Well, there's certain it. songs I listen to and I say, oh yeah, that's, that is a cool song. Yeah, uh, it's amazing, uh, some, some amazing, uh, so the, that record actually uh, is a record called Fenario. Right. Uh, a la Dire Wolf and uh, and that's out actually on CD now, but uh, it ended up sounding, it was Grateful Dead songs done by a band that sounded somewhere between the band and Little Feet, which was like my favorite mm -hmm. niche. Ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's one of my favorite records that I ever worked on, was that Fenario. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Do you have Afternoon Delight on there? <laughs> just, just, just yeah. like a quick intro, because you know, I can't imagine anybody under the age of fifty who doesn't, who hasn't been, uh, hasn't heard that song or hasn't been conceived by that song from that song. That's what I like about. Here come the girls. Here come the girls. Thinking of you, working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon. Let's get it. Rubbing sticks and stones together, make the sparks ignite. And the thought of 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there it is. There, there, there it goes. You know, my favorite thing I just now realized at the top, the power chords. <laughs> Here it is. Oh, yeah. Ba -da. Ba -da. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we rolling? Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, we, we, you missed all that? Oh, we got it. Oh, okay. The, um, that session was so funny because we had actually cut that song an, an earlier time at RCA Studios in, uh, in New York and uh, didn't. We just, you know, like a lot of uh, kind of singer-songwriter groups, solo and and groups, more solo type of writers show up, and they don't know. Right. The musicians show up, the studio players, and yeah. everybody's got their idea of how to. Okay, well, how about you try this? Oh, sure, great. You know, okay. there's not a whole lot of preconceived notions of what the record should be. Yeah. Uh, other than just kind of general ones, and I remember. Bill Danoff always kind of envisioned originally uh, kind of a Cajun kind of. It's close. Yeah, it's close to that. He was thinking like a, you know, <coughs> diggy diggy Doug Kershaw type of thing. And uh, we never really did that because we didn't have a fiddle in the band. You yeah. Know? Uh, and so we cut it and it had guitars on it and. And Alan Schwartzberg played drums on it, and it sounded kind of mighty and everything. But it, it we had, we were a new group, and we knew we were a, a vocal group, we were right. a singing group, but we didn't really uh, uh, know more than that in the studio. We didn't know. Hey, wait a minute, we need to. We can't. This is what we're all about. It's like no, we were just kind of figuring out what we were all about. Yeah, yeah. We knew we were a singing group, but. Um, We'd get back from that trip and play that that version for yeah. people and say, oh, no, I yeah. really like the song, you know, because they had heard us do the song as a quartet or with a few other guys, you know. But uh, they said, no, it doesn't sound like a vocal band. I mean, it sounds like a guitar band. Okay, great. So one thing led to another, and we ended up uh, having a, a record deal, proper record deal, mm -hmm. that was more than just uh, for a couple of sides, which was the deal the first trip. And... Um, and we got to do it with Phil Ramone. Oh, who, uh, really? Was uh, at A and R. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he, and a, <clears throat> another fellow named uh, Russell George, who was the bass player on the record, one of the more musical people I've ever worked with. Uh, he, um, he had the idea to sort of make it that's halftime. And Phil mm -hmm. Ramone came out. And Jimmy Young was the drummer. He was a, uh, a disco drum, played on all this. Mm -hmm. Played on uh, I Will Survive, I think, and he, Gloria Gaynor's record. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he started that sort of bare bones. And I remember Phil Ramone coming out into the control room, out of the control room, into the cutting room, and saying, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Something. 
Boom. And he was, I remember him kind of walking around the, the, the studio like a elephant, you know. Boom. Yeah, that's it, that's it, that's it. And that was, that was that the was, key to that. That like, was it. To me, that was always the key to that being, being a hit. And then um, Dave Matthews, uh, not the Charlottesville Dave Matthews, but the New York orchestrator, arranger Dave Matthews did that great uh, string arrangement. Wow. And, and, uh, wow. And we, we sang it once, and then we sang it again real soft. And, uh, and that was kind of the sound. That and, was the sound. Yeah, but you know, I was eighteen at the time. I was going to you know? say you're you're eighteen. Oh, by the way, uh, welcome to another edition of In Studio. I'm your host Ted Perch, and today we're sitting in the studio with uh, musician John Carroll, who was as we were talking here about. Uh, we're fabulous furry today. Yeah, we're fabulous furry because it's really yeah, early in the morning, right. and we're both we're both being put blind by the lights. So. If I look that way, I gotta put these on. So, and besides, we're besides we're talking about music, so we have to have to look cool. Um, so, John Carroll is a two-time Grammy Award winner for the song you heard, uh, "Afternoon Delight," with the Starlight Vocal Band. Actually, it's Starland. Stand that damn Starland, Starland Vocal Band. Yeah. Yes, it's okay. An oft-made mistake. Yeah, it's easy to just kind of let slip that in. So, we're here talking about the, the about the song which we've been talking about. But we're also going to go on and talk about John's career since then. And he's still very much involved as a touring musician. And uh, you have your own group. Studio musician. Studio, that's the word, studio musician <laughs> and so forth. So we want to get into his life in music and what, what it's been all about. And so you're 18 years old. So thanks for coming on, John. I should say. Nice to be here. Take, nice taking the time. Uh, you're a busy man. And I know you're off today for uh, something later on in the day, and then you're on tour. Then you're heading down to Virginia and on That's tour right, kind yeah. of thing. So <clears throat> doing the, um, the Southern song join. Yeah. yeah. So you're 18 years old. And how did you, how did the, how, how did the group come together? So I'm 18 years old after the, <laughs> rewind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Starland? Yeah. Um, well, Washington, D.C., um, in the 70s was uh, kind of a hotbed of uh, singer-songwriters. Yeah. Um, R&B. Sure. Um, jazz. <clears throat> bluegrass country uh, and there was a club in Georgetown named the cellar door oh yeah uh, that was sort of Washington's version of the village vanguard mm -hmm. or sure. bitter end or something like yeah. that they would book uh, nationally touring artists on their first couple of tours right. and they would book them kind of weeks at a time I was just uh, talking about this the other day with Bill because um, he <coughs> Bill excuse me I'm getting over a little bit of the pulmonary affliction that seems to be seems to be going around, <laughs> rife yeah, yeah. around. I mean, anyway the uh, uh, 
he and Taffy, who were uh, a duo, mm -hmm. folk duo, named Fat City, mm -hmm. when I first met them, uh, they met on Stevie Wonder Week. <coughs> uh, they met on Stevie Wonder Week in uh, uh, April. Let me see. Stevie's a, a Taurus, like Bill. We were talking about this. Yeah, because uh, Stevie turned uh, 18 at the end of the week. And it was a, they kind of let the meter run on all of the, sure. the issues. But anyway, they... Uh, it was that week. Bill was working at the cellar door. He was going to Georgetown University. Uh, he grew up here in Springfield, no kidding. Massachusetts. Uh, we're still uh, real good friends, and, and uh, I was just down there recently, and he looked across the dining room table, and he says, I just think it's, it's just so weird that I'm still down in Washington, and you're the one that's living up in Western Mass. <laughs> now. Yeah. But uh, that's life. And uh, so Billy uh, worked at the cellar door. I was aware of the cellar door firstly as this weird looking club that we passed when we were moving to Washington, D.C., into my grandparents' house for a, a half of a year. Uh, and we were living in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, after my dad died, we moved to, to the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. So <clears throat> the, um, the route to my grandparents' house went into Georgetown, the other end of Key Bridge, and there was this oddball club, the cellar door, and it was, black, it was, it was white with a black awning, and there were these placards in the window that was their own sort of protocol marquees that would have Richard Pryor, Roberta Flack, Nina Simone, uh, yeah. uh, Kinky Friedman, mm -hmm. uh, actually in, the, in those days it was a little prior to him, uh, Willis Allen Ramsey. Uh, so I would look at these going by and go, what, so that, I guess that's a nightclub of some Type. It didn't yeah. look like a restaurant. It didn't, you know, what? And um, at the bottom of each of the the placards, it would say every Sunday night, Hoot Nanny, and I would think, What the hell is that? Some, yeah, people sitting on hay bales and you know, like he <laughs> kind of has that you know? flavor to it, yeah. But I never asked after it, and, and it wouldn't have helped. My mom didn't know the deal. Um, and then uh, the next year after that I started high school in Alexandria. Mom bought a house and and uh, and I hooked up with a, a fellow that I had seen in a musical the year before at the high school where we went and he and I became fast friends and he wrote songs mm -hmm. and sang as I did and um, he played guitar. I played guitar and piano. I guess piano and guitar if you want to put them in order, but the uh, the first gig that we had was playing at a the Village Inn Pizza Parlor in Springfield, Virginia mm -hmm. on Tuesday nights. And we would sit and play and kids would chase balloons around. And But it was really cool because our girlfriends could come and hang out and eat pizza and drink Coke and we played. One week, <clears throat> this uh, really nice lady 
came in and she said, you guys are pretty good. And we were pretty good. We, we sounded kind of like the Everly Brothers on uh, 78 sure. or yeah. something. We were, <laughs> we were kind of the Everly Brothers meet Hanson. <clears throat> kind of like, yeah. and uh, she said, uh, hey, have you ever heard of the cellar door? And I said, yeah, you mean the place in Georgetown? What is that place? He goes, well, it's a really nice uh, yeah. nightclub. A lot of great people play there, and they have a, an open mic on Sundays. I said, is that what the Hoot Nanny is? She goes, yeah, they call it the Hoot. So I go, okay, great. You have to audition for it. Yeah. And... Um, if they like you, you you do 20 minutes. Right. Well, we were 15. I was 15. Mike, my friend, Mike Cotter was 16, and uh, our eyes lit up. I thought, great, yeah, we'll we'll do that. So the following week, we went in. <clears throat> it was her husband that worked there, and and he got us in for an audition. We played. We made it. We had to wait two weeks to play, and when we played, the manager of that particular night was a roommate of Bill Danoff's mm -hmm. and he uh, scared us to death thought we were going to be thrown out because um, he was kind of hemming and hawing and he wanted to talk to us after the show and he looked really serious and we kind of thought are we in trouble and you were seriously underage we were seriously underage <laughs> and uh, that's what I thought it was right, all right. about and he kind of looked up and he kind of like said um I'll just cut right to it. I want to manage you guys. What? Oh, <laughs> that's not what I thought you were going to say. And so he helped us out. He got us uh, gigs at coffee houses and, okay. and, and clubs in Georgetown and everything. And about second or third week we were doing stuff, he, he was telling us about his friends. He said, I want you to see, you know, you got to learn how to do a show. You have to, right. uh, and it's not just getting up and playing your songs. You have to relate to the audience yeah. and you have to entertain them uh, and there's a flow and there's a yeah all those things all those you know, things the, yeah the thing that later on we realized is the three-act structure you know you yep. gotta have a, the beginning and the middle and, and the end, end. Yep. so we were okay okay cal okay 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 and he said i want you to see my friends uh fat city uh billy and taffy's group and i think that's what he referred to it as now i thought after coming from fredericksburg virginia the year before, right. a couple of years before at that point, I was playing in R&B bands, dance bands, as an 11, 12-year-old with the, with the older kids. No kidding. So, well, I, start, I was one of the, anybody who has older brothers and sisters, you know what it's like. You're, you're a little ahead of your cultural game if you have an older brother and or sisters because they turn you on to not oh, only yes. their music, but their friends who are playing the music. And if you play music, you get to be in their yes. friends' bands. That, that so was that, was, that was my deal. That was kind of my experience. My older brother was into, at the time, Little Richard, Chuck Berry. There it is. John Cash, and some of the doo-wop groups. So I was that age, and he was 16. And it was kind of like, you're, you're like you say, you're, right. you're ahead of the curve. Yeah, you get a... For your age group. You have a periscope. Um, and, you know, uh, Billy in Springfield was a, was in doo-wop groups. Yeah, yeah. Kept him from getting beat up, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because he was, the, he was the egghead. He said, I was the smart kid in the class, and, and if it wasn't for, for music, they would have kicked my ass. So, right. And I liked music, so we got, to, we got, we got together. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, um, so I figured... Fat City, that sounded 
exciting to me because I still was was into R&B. I really liked uh, yeah, yeah. that was what I came up playing and, and listening to gospel and, uh, and R&B. And it was the 60s. This was, uh, this yeah, was yeah. a great place, a great, great time for for good songs, you know, and Sly and the Family Stone, still my favorite group. But um, I figured it was an R&B group called Fat City. Uh -huh. <clears throat> I was excited, man. I'm going to come and see. I figured there'd be, it'd be like Grand Central Station or something. You know? Right. So we come and see their show at the cellar door. They're going to play next week. They're doing three nights. And uh, they just been playing with John Denver, and uh, you know they're kind of a big deal. Okay, great, cool. So we come and see that city that's this kind of crazy-looking guy wearing a cowboy hat. He's got long curly hair and wire-rimmed glasses, and he's wearing this weird shirt, and, and, uh, and he's got this real cute gal with him that's, that sings kind of halfway between, like, Cass Elliot and... Uh, Susan Castle or something, you know. Mm -hmm, sure. Uh, and uh, they were playing <clears throat> these really great songs, and it was just the two of them, and they had this strange way of harmonizing with each other. And it was not at first. I was disappointed. It was it was not R and B, no. um, but it was extremely entertaining. And their show was extremely well put together and thoughtful and smart. Mm -hmm. And and Mike and I got it right away it's like okay these these guys are cool I haven't seen anything like these guys ever you know and we meet them after their show and to to us that was you know way cool to oh. be able to go up to the dressing room after absolutely and uh, <clears throat> Bill and Taffy were just really cool yeah they were just cool and they really dug us um, Cal had told Bill about us, yeah. and he said, yeah, Cal's, Bill, I remember Bill saying, yeah, Cal says you guys sing really good. You want to sing a song? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. We were in high school, you know. We sang a couple of songs, and um, from that point on, uh, Bill and, and Taffy, they adopted us, more or less. They mm -hmm. were kind of our showbiz... Uh, mentors. They were our mentors. They were our... Godparents, they were. They taught us how to roll joints. <laughs> <laughs> Valuable life so, skill, yes. No, I used to love going over to, to their house. It wasn't like that. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. they were respectful of the fact that I, that we were kids, but they also knew, yeah, yeah, what the real world was for guys to play music that were in high that's school. That's right. You know? that, that's right. So uh, I just remember they had this really cool. The coffee table that was half of a tree, and there was a there was a little station on it that had cigarettes. Uh -huh. uh, it was just you know a bowl of cigarettes and and uh, and and matches, and you could just Benson and Hedges. And you could just take Benson one and, and say, oh, "It's okay to have a cigarette." Yeah, man, have a cigarette. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So uh -huh. I guess I mean I had been already de debauched as a as an eleven and twelve year old musician in rock and roll bands anyway. Right, but. Um, it was really cool to see that. Oh, this is, this is a way of life. Yes, you guys, yeah. you guys are married, and they would, yeah, they did laundry and they did all this stuff. They had a house, <laughs> but yeah, we yeah. Uh, we went over and visited them uh, all the time, and uh, one thing led to another. And since Mike and I sang, 
harmonies well, and I, I was really good at arranging harmonies, um, they would do larger shows, like opening for John Prine at Constitution Hall. And that, no. was the, that was the first big one that we did. Actually, the first, first big show that we did was at Kennedy Center uh, opening for George Carlin. Wait a minute. You're 15, 16? Uh, I was 17. I was 17. Oh, okay. So Mike and I changed our name from Sunshine Aww. to Cotter and Carol, uh -huh. and, uh, and Fat City changed their name to Bill and Taffy. So it was uh, at, at right after that show, was uh, we all changed our name. But we went out, and we played <sighs> first, and then... They went out and played their set, and George Carlin did, did no his thing. Kidding. And it was a really big deal. We went to Catholic high school, too, uh -oh. and this was class clown time for George Carlin, yeah. the seven words you can't say on television. And it was a great night because we got to sit there and watch all the nuns from Mike's <laughs> sister's school and all the priests from our school. No, really? Uh, the priests hung out. The nuns got up and left during... Carlin's set, and <laughs> we didn't realize quite accurately what was happening. Yeah, you know, we just kind of thought, "Oh, he's going to get in trouble." You know, we didn't realize it was a sea change in the <laughs> in cultural yeah. comedy and everything. Everything, yeah. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, we did that show, and um, I, I think it was after that concert that Bill had the idea to use us as their backup band when yeah. they were doing larger shows. So we would get together with them and we would I would come up with whatever the harmonies were that fleshed out their two-part right. harmony sound and Mike played guitar uh, reinforcing Bill's guitar and I would play piano. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we would do shows. The next one I think was opening for John Prine at Constitution Hall. And uh, Leon Redbone was the opener, no, opener that day, oh, man. and uh, no one knew who he was. That's a great story that I won't get into yeah. now, going out after that, because Leon Redbone liked to stay in character. Oh, yeah, until the day he died. <laughs> it was really great. Yeah. Uh, he, never, he never cracked, the, he never left his character. Never left his never, character. Never, ever. All right, this won't take but 20 seconds. We're sitting at this table in the Roma restaurant, after the show, and Taffy's sitting next to Leon. <clears throat> and Taffy didn't, she was not great at being shy. Let's just put that. Right, right. So she's saying, so where are you from, Leon? And Leon in character says, well, I travel the rails of the great Pacific <laughs> Northwest. <laughs> I don't, oh, okay, all right. Where are your parents from? My mother was the great Jenny Lynn. My father, the Infamous Paganini. She goes, ah, cut the shit, Leon. Where are you from? He goes, uh, Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. so we would do these shows with them, and that the last two years of Mike's and my high school years were really, really great. Yeah. Because we got we we all the while we continued to play at the cellar door. Yeah. We would open for shows there. Mike and I would open for larger shows like Seals and Crofts and, and uh, Sha Na Na, which was an interesting night. And uh, anyway, the uh, the high school 
years passed and it was time to either go to school, go to college, yeah. or stay and do go to work. Showbiz, showbiz, yeah. Which is what I wanted to do and yeah. obviously was what Mike wanted to do as well. Um, but there wasn't a music school in Washington. My uh, the, the music director at the high school, Gar Whaley, I just saw him down in Florida a couple weeks ago for the first time since. It was mm -hmm. really something. Uh, he said that I should go to University of Miami, uh, which had a great jazz school, and he convinced my mother of it. My mother was so convinced of it, she bet me that uh, I would love it so much that if I came back after a semester, she'd give me $500. I uh -huh. thought, okay. All right, yeah, I can handle anything for, you know, it's like, I can go to boot camp for $500. Yeah. So, um, Went to uh, Miami, which wasn't in Miami. It was Coral Gables, which right. uh, was not what I, where I wanted to be, where I was supposed to be. It was just was like one of those situations where this is not wrong. This is this out is of wrong. the course of time. This is not anything. So there was one show um, coming up in October of that year where Mike and I were going to play with Bill and Taffy opening for Jackson Brown mm -hmm. at Constitution Hall. And we did that. It was the only thing I had to look forward to the entire uh, semester there. And uh, came home, rehearsed, did it. Um, had a great show. Met Jay Winding, uh, who was Jackson's uh, piano player and right. later became Madonna's musical yep. director. Um, and he was, after the show, uh, like the guy that I needed to be hearing from, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, let me tell you what's going on here. You know, you don't need to be in college. If, are you learning anything? Nah, I learned a Carcassi <laughs> guitar exercise. Yeah, yeah. Which I know to this day, and it's the only thing I think I did learn at Miami. Uh -huh. I didn't like it. Uh, wasn't doing anything. To, you know, we had stuff going on in Washington. You know, right. So to leave that was didn't feel right. And he said, "No, you can. Always, there's time. Get back. You can, you can get back. back to you can always go back. Come back. You know, whatever it is after this." I go, "Okay. Well, anyway, that got my head working. That okay, I'm definitely coming back and getting my five hundred dollars, right? Yeah. But <clears throat> what was also happening that I didn't see at the time was Bill and Taffy were in the middle of a contract negotiation with their record deal, and they owed RCA two more sides." Well, Billy was contending with that, with Taffy, trying to figure out what to do. So I get back to Miami after the Jackson Brown show, deeply depressed because I got nothing to look forward to. And that was yeah. like everything I'm supposed to be doing, and now I'm back here, <laughs> everything I'm not supposed to be doing. That feeling, everybody knows sure, yeah. one way or the other. And um, the phone rings, and uh, Bill and Taffy, are both on the phone, uh, the extension in the house, <laughs> right? And uh, Bill said, uh, yeah, we always had this idea to do a try a vocal group, kind of like a Mamas and the Papas kind of thing. And uh, I said, okay. And he said, well, uh, so, and Taffy cut in and said, so you want to do a group with me and Billy? And I said, well, I kind of thought we already I thought we already were. Had. Yeah. And she said, no, this is going to be different. 
we're gonna um, we're gonna go in the studio, and uh, we don't really know if it's gonna work or not. But we're thinking, me and Billy, and you and Margo. I go, Margo, who? Margo Chapman. Uh, and uh, I said, from Breakfast Again, who we had seen. They were another group that was actually more like the Mamas and the Papas than yeah. than, uh, than we ever were. But um, they were a trio, and uh, they were really cool. And Margo was just beautiful uh, sounding and looking and, and uh, behaving, and, and she is a beautiful gal. And uh, so I thought, sure, that... That was great. That was another reason to yes. I said, but basically it was like, yes. Right. Uh, what do I have to do? Well, you need to come home from Miami after the semester. Okay, check. Already done. And it would be great if you could stay in school so that we don't get the, the onus of being the people who had you quit school if nothing happens with this. <laughs> we don't want your mother calling us up complaining. <laughs> and uh, What'd you do so I kind of thought, and that's not how I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. Well, yeah, I want to come home, but I'm not moving back home. That never right, right. that yeah. never entered into into it. Um, no, it was, everybody was kind of independent. Sure, <laughs> it was, yeah, that's it never right. Dawned, I remember my my mother saying, "How are you getting to and from school?" And I said, "Well, I do these drive away cars, Mom. You know, people need their cars driving." It only cost the gas, and you could drive yourself home. She goes, right. "Oh, you know, I could send you a plane ticket if you ever ask me." It's like. Really? It never never, occurred, never dawned on me. Yeah. Um, so I was going to come home. Uh, I transferred to Catholic University where, and it turned out my father went and mm -hmm. also taught. And my father was also a, a vet. He was long, long gone at that point. But uh, I think I got a, whatever that deal was. Yeah. And um, so that, during that semester when I was at Catholic University, where... I should also mention Mike Cotter still went. He went to yeah. Catholic University after we graduated. So uh, that was a little tricky because this band didn't include him. him. Right. Uh, but I, it's another story. But um, when I did tell him about it after a, a week or so, you know, it was like, okay, so let me get this straight. So it's so Bill and Taffy and and you. And Margo, the babe from Breakfast Again? I said, yeah, I guess. He goes, wow, that's kind of good, huh? I said, I don't know. He goes, wow. And he sat there and he went, wow, I really want to hear that. Yeah. You know? Which was why Mike was my best friend, you know. But, but suddenly he's the Peter Best of the Beatles. He, he, he got it. But I know he was yeah. incredibly disappointed that I wasn't coming sure, home to sure. continue Cotter and Carol. But we did, he got a band going, and, you know, we were, uh, you know, best friends all the way to the end. But he uh, had his bands, and I got to play with him. And uh, so that's how Starland kind of started. So uh, you, you, you were in the... What am I trying to say? You were right in the middle of it right away. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like this it's you're in the really, right place at the right time with the right people, and the energy was just all It is was, a textbook example of when things are, when the timing is just right well, at that particular thing. You can't force it. It was never anything I felt like I was forcing at that time. Um, it's just happening. All it just happened, which, which is good and, and it's bad, you know? It's. Um, it's well, it's an interesting thing because 
we we rehearsed for a short year. Uh, started playing uh, in springtime, I think, the end of winter into spring around D.C. Um, John Denver, because uh, burying the lead here, Bill Danoff wrote Take Me Home Country Roads. I read that. Okay, Holy so cow. so they went out with John Denver on a lot of tours. In fact, went to the UK, did a television show with him over there. Yeah, they were yeah. grooming John over there in the UK to be a movie star here and a television star here, which worked. Which worked, yeah. And um, so, it in at this point, he wanted to have his own record label. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, who do you have on your record label? Well. Bill and Taffy had a mere two sides, not even a record, two yeah. songs, two recordings but, left on their yeah. RCA deal, right. which we used to do the aforementioned first recording of Afternoon Delight and yeah. another tune called Ain't It the Fall that's now part of a Kesha record. Hmm. But that's another story. Um, the... Uh, the elements that were all in place were ridiculous. So to have us have a record deal kind of almost sight unseen. Yeah. Uh, obviously they knew what Bill and Taffy did, but they hadn't really heard much of what this group right. sounded like. Right. And um, we uh, got Phil Ramone on board along with Milt Oaken, who Milt Oaken had uh, produced all of Bill and Taffy's songs and John Denver's records, right, yeah. and you know he started Cherry Lane Music, which yeah. was the publishing company of the entire folk era in, mm -hmm. in uh, New York, you know. Uh, and we did the record, and when the record was done. Well, now what? I guess we've got to do some shows. Is anybody going out on the road? Yeah. That's the <laughs> well, yeah, John. <laughs> John Denver's going out on the road. But it never came up. Well, we had to bring it up. Yeah. Uh, Billy basically said to, to Milt, you know, what, what are the odds and chances? Of us and, going with him. You know, might, be, might behoove everybody, you know. And uh, Milt said, well, John's been kind of working really hard up until now to do this tour where it's just him and no, no opening act. He right. wants to do this show in the round, um, and, uh, which was the first, one of the first acts to do that in huge arenas, build a stage in the center of the place. Yeah. No one had ever done that. So he uh, was doing that, was not crazy about the idea of taking anybody out. but. Who's kidding who? Milt, can you have a talk with them? And Milt, <laughs> Milt went out to uh, lunch with them and said, uh, so, uh, you know, we've got this Starland vocal band. Uh, Billy's working. Show. Yeah, yeah. I heard it. Sounds great. Well, um, how about taking them on the, these tours with you? He's about to do three tours, cover mm -hmm. the whole nation. And... Uh, he said, well, you know, I've kind of been really looking forward to doing this. He said, yeah. I said, well, 
this, uh, well, we've already built the stage and I stand on a little turntable and turn very slowly and this band is on the four corners of a platform. And he said, yeah, but um, you, he goes, yeah, well, will you think it'd be the difference between them having a hit and not having a hit off of the record? Which is on his well, record label. Duh, yeah, <laughs> we hope. And uh, Milt kind of, um, yes. Yes. He said, okay, done. We'll, we'll build a thing and they'll come and do that. And, and we did that, that, that thing that, that is the mother load of advantageous manna from heaven if any act gets to go on a huge tour. Huge tour like that. That's yeah. going to sell a lot of seats already and you're going to get in front of all these people. Right. Uh, have a reason to be there. Yeah. They were associated with, with John. And you get to warm up the audience, but you get that we exposure. We had our 40, 40 minute bulletproof uh, set wow. that included Afternoon Delight. And then, uh, and we would, uh, our last song was this acapella arrangement of American Tune, Paul Simon's American Tune. Oh man. That, that I arranged. And um, we would stand with our backs to each other, east, west, north, and south, yeah. and sing this amazing song that is, you know, if anybody hasn't listened to American Tune lately, uh, <laughs> it'll lay you out. So um, the the tours went really well, and these two guys who were kind of on board as A&R guys of Windsong Records, which was the name of John's label, um, called us up and said, hey, uh, we see you're doing these tours. Well, no one's really telling us anything, uh, but we'd kind of like to come out and would you guys be up for doing some glad handing and, you know, doing yeah. some luncheons and meeting some radio people and visiting some stations and shaking hands with some rack jobbers, they used to call them, the yeah, guys yeah. who bought all the records and um, put them in the big stores. And... Uh, and we said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and we did that really well because there was four of us. Um, so we could go, Margo would go over there and be yeah, mysterious. Yeah. Taffy would be <laughs> bawdy and, and charming him over on the other place. I'd be the young, you know, guy that was, I don't know, I looked like Christy McNichol at the time. Yeah, I've, seen, I've <laughs> so, seen some photos, yeah. It's like you were really Leaf young. Garrett kind of. Leaf Garrett, you know I mean? that's right. It, it, he was the other guy in the, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh man, I don't want to be one of those guys. <laughs> but, um, uh, and uh, we did that really well. And, and we would, every week, we would check cash box and billboard and mm -hmm. we'd see that all the towns that we played Let's go. added Afternoon Delight. And, and that and that song and continues to be a monster hit. I mean, it was, well, it's a great when song. It, when it, when it, it charted globally, worldwide, from what I've, what I've read. I mean, it, you were everywhere. Yeah, it was it number just, one. It was it number just, one in the, in the record. Uh, and then uh, the first day of the second album was in Los Angeles. We recorded it at the record plant. And uh, it's a really good record, by the way, called Rearview Mirror. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, co-wrote a, a song with Emmy Lou Harris that's on there. Uh, Russ Kunkel played drums on it. Hal Blaine played drums on it. Uh, Lee Sklar, uh, Nick DeCaro, David Campbell, mm -hmm. Beck's Daddy uh, arranged the tunes that I wrote. Uh, let me think, I might be confusing that with a little later. 
but the um, the first day of that production, Milt was holding his dictaphone thing and was, which was announcing the the Grammy oh, nominations. Yeah. And so it was like on the first session of the next album, he announces that we were nominated for five Grammys. Yeah. I kind of thought, what? What? You know? <laughs> it just didn't make any sense to me. What? It didn't make any sense to me. It made a lot of sense to everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess. What? Um, but uh, that was, let me see, I guess it was the 19th annual, I know, because it's the same age as I am. So at that Grammys, we won two of the five. So Which are sitting on your desk there. All right. Behind us there. there are the, there's the two. Yeah. Best new artist. Yeah. That the Beach Boys presented us, oh. which is the coolest thing I'm, in the world. Right? Uh, Dennis and Mike yeah. and Carl, as I recall. And then best arrangement for voices, which I'm very proud of because that was one well, of my roles. Well, the arranger's thing. One of yeah, my roles in the group. <clears throat> and um, yeah, so. And then uh, the other three we didn't win, which was song, uh, record, and something else. Something else. I forget. I forget what it was. But you're 19 years old. Exactly. So was, it wasn't I, a destination gonna... for me. It was the, no? it was a starting gate. And yeah, right. You get the ticket. Boom. But uh, yeah, it was just I don't know. It's. Because I was going to ask you, yeah, you get this, you get this news, and at some point you're all by yourself. You're in your room. You're everybody's. It's just you and the cosmos. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I don't need what to were explain. Your I don't need. I don't to think you can really, but well, I, I do. I never. No, I never. It wasn't a heady thing, right? For me, it it just it it wasn't. It was. I don't need to explain this to anybody anymore. I don't need to say that I'm doing this. Right. But I already knew it was what I do. Right. It had been. All along, you've known I this. Was a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But moving to D.C. was a very cool thing. And it's so funny, later, as is now, and you look back, and there are lessons that seep through the yeah. years, uh -huh. and you look back and you think, wow, that was, that's what was happening. It, At the time, I wasn't keeping a journal and saying, yeah. uh, isn't this wonderful what I've strived for all of my life? It had nothing it's to a, do with that. It was, great, I get to really do this now. Great, I, can, I don't need to worry about the, the bullshit of school. I don't need to worry about... Um, you made okay, it. so in that regard, yeah, yeah, in that regard, you got this gift. People, people that I would run into would were making a big deal of it, and I always, it always made me a little uncomfortable. Um, right. So I don't know what that is all about. Um, not being my thing, or feeling that 
we didn't work hard enough for that because that's that's not true. Um, um, after that, I remember there was a lot of pressure. Yeah, I um, imagine. I can't imagine, but yeah. Let's. And I didn't know at the time, right? But it's it's what are you you're doing these songs. In a way, it's a wonderful thing. The, the, the good kind of pressure is that, is that deadline kind of pressure, which is great. It's like anything else. It's like, hey, I've got to finish this thing by next Tuesday because they're going to listen to it on Wednesday. Right. Okay, I've got to finish this now. Well, you've got to finish all the songs because you're going into the studio next April or whatever. And everybody's writing, and, and you get together, and Bill's got some songs, and I've got some songs, and we write some songs together, and... And Taffy and Margot are writing some songs, and so you're working. You so know. we're working. Working. But here's the thing: Bill and Taffy and Margot were all at least ten years older than me. They had been doing it for that long, right? Before mm -hmm. I knew anything about anything. Yeah. With them, so. Taffy was pregnant with their first child in the studio when we were recording mm -hmm. Afternoon Delight, you know. Um, and the second record that we did, the third record, they had another baby. And the fourth record we did at Muscle Shoals, it's my personal favorite oh, yeah. of them all. Got to do it with Barry Beckett and David Hood and Roger Hawkins and all them guys at Muscle Shoals Sound. Not fame, but Muscle Shoals Sound. Yeah, yeah. And um, that record was our fourth, and we really had high hopes for it. We, we played the, the final master for all these radio guys in D.C. All came over to the house, and they listened to it and went, wow, this is great. We, I don't know what I'd want to play first. Because, you know, yeah, like yeah. all these things. Like, really? Great, yeah. Because Barry Beckett really wanted to make hits. Sure. And I remember him thinking... So how are we going to win this, you know? Uh, I don't know. Cooling says, could have, we want it to fade? I think it should fade. I said, well, in those days, fades were, were it. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, he said, you think it's going to be a single? If it's going to be a single, we're going to fade. We're going to fade. Right. right. And there's a whole other Believe panoply of considerations that go to that that are very right. interesting. But the, uh, <clears throat> the record came out. Everybody's real excited about it. No one's playing it. I couldn't figure it out. At this point, um, Margot and I are married with mm -hmm. a baby. Yeah. Our son, Ben. He's a baby. We're living in the suburbs of Virginia, of D.C. in Virginia. And I call WASH radio one day. I can, gee, I'm really listening for this. I know the first single is out. And he goes, oh, geez, John, you hadn't heard, huh? <laughs> what? Haven't heard what? The Wind Song Records is no more. Jerry Weintraub, who was our manager and John's oh, really? manager, and who was yeah. the album was the 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 album. All of our albums are on Wind Song Records, which was owned by John Jerry Weintraub, our manager, and Milt Oaken, our yeah, publisher uh -huh. and producer. Think there are any conflicts there? <laughs> it turned out but, uh, there were quite a few, actually. But. Well, you know, it, it, there were, and it, it would have helped if if Jerry, Jerry got us this uh, TV show. That was the big. That TV was show. Probably, yeah. That was the biggest fly in the ointment. Was the TV show? Um, 
we, we were talked into doing it. Uh, wasn't sure exactly what it was serving, what purpose it was serving, but it certainly wasn't ours. Um, and what we were not hip enough or initiated enough to realize going into it is that we, your fans who would generally always be there for it, it could be a bad TV show, but if you show up and sing your song, right. well, your fans are going to like you. They'll, yeah. they'll be fine. They can laugh about all the other crap. Right. You know, David Letterman was the, was the host yeah. of it, and he was dreadful. Everybody was, <laughs> everybody was dreadful. We were dreadful, except for the songs. We were dressed up to look silly, but... That was that was the but, style then, yeah. Something to uh, share and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, in those days, TV, these TV guys, they see you and they they, they pigeonhole you immediately, right, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, so they did that with us, you know, and uh, and they dress us to and thematically with whatever the song we're singing, you know, we're dressed like sailors when we're singing about Saint Croix. And, uh, but there were two or three songs per show, and they were good, actually. The, mm -hmm. the one thing that lives on YouTube or those those numbers is actually pretty good. Uh, some of them were, were really live and better than the record. Did you ever get the feeling that you were being walked out the door? Yes. Yeah. I was, I, I it felt to me like sabotage. Right. It was like, is this, it, this is trying to be bad. Wait a minute, this is, this show is trying to be bad. What's happening? What, right. is, the, what is this all about? And uh, really never really got the full scoop of what it was about. But what we were too naive to realize is that those fans that would be there for you no matter what, mm -hmm. you're getting to them. But when you have a turkey TV show, the network doesn't keep it in the slot. No. They start putting it somewhere else every yep. week. So even your fans that want to see can't your show find can't find it right. uh, in those days. So... Um, yeah, that was sort of the that took all of the momentum doing it out of our our thing, you know, because we did we did the tours with John Denver, and then we did uh, then the second album. That was the time for us to do our tour, not not in huge right, arenas, right. but you know, we would play the Calvin, you know, what yeah, I mean? yeah, right, and uh, or uh, whatever a large club, you know? yeah. Uh, so uh, we didn't get to do that because the the. TV show was in that stead, so. Uh, well, the, kind of a, yeah. the music business is uh, cutthroat. It's tough. It's yeah. So at you're popular for 15 19, minutes, and then you're, uh, so there's 1980. Yeah. Uh, I've got a wife and a baby uh, and a group that's no longer because uh, Bill and Taffy were breaking up. Yeah. So the label went belly up. Their marriage went belly up. Margot and I stayed together yeah. uh, for 12 years, and um, but uh, that was that was the those were great years, as it turns out, Absolutely. because that was like, okay, what do we do now? What do you do now? What do we do? Yeah. And um, what's next? So I was had always loved working in studios and and would play on different folks in Washington's records. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then uh, we were approached by um, a fellow who was doing jingles, doing commercials. And he said, hey, I don't know if you guys are up for this. He came to Margo and I. And he says, but if I were able to, there's some, you know, I do these things and, and I get this work. Yeah. I can probably get better work by saying I've got these two guys, the Starland Vocal Band guys, mm -hmm. you know, 
And the whole group, we did it a couple of times, but Margo and I were, I think this fellow, Paul Christensen uh, was his name, still is, hey Paul, he's a really good guy, amazingly talented musician. And um, he uh, knew what our situation was. He was wise enough to see, hey, you guys, you guys want to be making a living, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I said, okay. Yeah, we'd like to be making yeah, a living. Yeah, that'd be here. great. So um, he had a, a stable of great uh, players mm -hmm. and singers, and um, and we were, we knew, I knew what that was all about, you know, and I knew how this. The studio work, yeah. maybe as much as later, but at the time I certainly knew how harmonies worked, mm -hmm. and I knew how to sing, and, and we we sang a lot of jingles, and uh, all the while I was had my group going, and uh, and since Starland was no more, I figured I want to do a solo thing, mm -hmm. so I wrote um, uh, moving the, the history into those years. That's kind of how. Yeah. Uh, it was a very interesting time because um, Bill was, uh, he started a, a publishing slash management company. It was called a management company because he knew I was looking for a record deal. And I had a demo of three or four songs and he was out in LA promoting this new publishing company of his and me and was hanging out with Emmy Lou Harris and Linda Ronstadt. What you wrote, <clears throat> and and they were asking what I was doing, and he said it was funny you should say it, and he, they gave, they played the the cassette <laughs> that had uh, "Get Closer" on it, this tune called but "Get Closer." That was your arrangement, though, right? It's my song. That's your song. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, wow. So that's how Linda came to do that. We knew her because we had been out there doing yeah. that second album. And that's where actually I met my present wife. Is yeah, uh, wow. Uh, that she was out there. Um, O'Brien, you know O'Brien, runs Sierra Grill. And no, building, but building no. eight. Okay. Yeah, yeah. His sister Meredith is, oh. is is my wife, and we met back then uh, when we were staying at Malibu doing that second. Record, yeah. Doing the second record. Now the story behind this. We didn't get together till later. I'm sorry. And the story behind the song was that you were in the studio and you were walking by a piano and you just started playing something. Yeah, yeah. A little yeah. riff and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, it was it was uh, bias where we did a lot of studio work uh -huh. and jingles and stuff. And uh, it was a, a great a great piano. And uh, this was 1980, 81. It hit me, and I just kind of played it. And, yeah, yeah. And Bob Dawson, who was the engineer, he said, "What is that?" And I said, "I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just weird. something." Yeah. And um, what it what? And then I, like many songs, that you just start ululating. Right, right. <laughs> just a little riff. You just, you know, it's like I knew it was like a, I wanted it to be like a Lieber and Stoller kind of, you know, yeah. and all their stuff was like, hey, Bob, you know. Like, you won't. I, I, I didn't even know what it was. I went to Mola. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of times that's, a, that's actually a really good device for young writers out there. Just start wailing away that, like a hound dog at the moon. Absolutely. And then let, but record it because you listen to it later and it's like, 
oh, wait a minute, you are saying something. Yeah, Keith Richards has you know, a... It really works. Keith Richards has a, a, a similar observation. He made it, he was asleep or something, and he suddenly had this riff in his head. He woke up and recorded it on a yeah. little thing. Yeah. And he, and he, and he says... If I hadn't recorded, I never would have remembered it. But there it was, and exactly. it became one of his, you know, signature songs. So, yeah. yeah. Those, oh man, those those. If it comes to you in a dream, or even walking by an instrument, get that oh, thing down. Oh, yeah. It. If it's there, it's that's that's that's, that's a gift, man. It's, yeah. It's just it comes from who knows, you know, where, and um. So I wrote that, and it wasn't until later that I realized that, and I've actually on a another interview with this fellow Carl Weiser yeah song facts oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah I read that's a really great site but he was asking about it and I said no it's he said what what about the weird time signature and and um I said I don't know about that except for the fact that I knew that uh the Pointer Sisters had uh oh yeah which is the Springsteen tune fire yeah but I, I liked, it, you know. Da -da. That's just, too, it's just, just feels like it's. It's got that it's New Orleans. one beat too many. It's got that New Orleans. So, I guess it does. See, it doesn't. If it, it says 7 4, which is basically just 4 plus 3 over 4. Uh -huh. And that's the 4. So that ain't going anywhere. There it is. Right. So. Yeah. But yeah, since wow. then, I've got like a, a half a dozen seven four songs. Well, that's. I, I to me, I think seven four is the purest kind of. Well, it's blues, that's R and B, and that's gospel. Yeah. Certainly, it's good. And yeah. I heard on your website actually you have some songs listed, and you, you do a cover of uh, "Got to Serve Somebody." Oh yeah. I have to well, tell that's you. That's not released. Yeah. Oh. That's a full on. I, I love oh, gospel like music. Oh God, yes! It's like I could just—it just goes right, right through me. Right on. Because uh, I did a gospel record, uh, gospel show on radio for three years, and right as soon as you started, it's like, and you get the backup singers, and uh, like, I got, oh. a new, I got a new song that you'll like. I'll, yeah. I'll have to send it to you. It's okay. A new, it's a new gospel tune. Uh, it's a secular gospel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thing. Anyway, the uh, so here you are. You're now, so now you're working. Was, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was kind of a a, a cool time, and it was ironically kind of strange because we were working in the studio doing a lot of these jingles. Yeah. We were doing records as well. For I was playing on other folks' sure. recordings, yep. but but you could show up and take an hour and a half, and you'd sing the this jingle. And a lot of these guys that were doing the jingles, we started working for other folks around D.C. and met a lot of other players and singers the, the same way. And that was, it was just a, it was a cool little stable of a world there. Right, folks right. That, it was folks you needed to, it was in D.C. too. It wasn't in New York. It wasn't Dallas. It wasn't Nashville. And um, we were all good at it, you know. Sure. You, you get yeah. into the studio and, and there's a little bit of a myth about, Jingle singing, any any kind of studio singing, but but yeah. 
you know, got to make a living where it's easy or something, and it's not no, actually no, singing no, no. a jingle is actually hard because you really have to. You got to all end it at the exact same. Right. Everybody has to take the breath right here, right. or else I think somebody's gonna. It's got to be real tight, and it's real gotta, tight. You, know, you got to hit it, and you bust yep. your ass getting it just right. Yeah, and. Um, so these guys, you know, all they do is they're on their phone with agencies and they're trying, trying to, to sell it, yeah. trying to get a jingle. And everybody's brass ring in that world was to get a national commercial. Yeah. Right. We can do the local Firestone dealership, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but we want to get the national Firestone commercial. Those you got to get the McDonald's Those commercial. Are the guys. And New York had the had that cornered in Nashville and Dallas and. In LA and and it was just like this oh man if we could only get it. and a couple of the guys did it we did a, a US Airways we did and a couple of other ones but when Linda Ronstadt recorded get closer that was such a cool thing because first of all when an artist decides they want to do your song mm -hmm. you don't know if they're if they're really going to do it or not Right. They can put it on hold, and that kind of sucks when they end up not doing it because if no one else has mm -hmm. recorded it, including yourself, yeah. they can do that. You, your publisher can say, we're not going to pitch this to anybody because, hey, you're Linda Ronstadt, or hey, you're the Pointer System. And meanwhile, it's on hold for you. To it's, on hold. Else with. it's on hold for everybody yeah. until these guys decide to do what they're going to do and do what it is that they might ultimately decide not to do. So Linda not only did it, um, they, she recorded it three different ways, mm -hmm. and Russ Kunkel, great drummer, was, was in her band and working on the record, and so he was kind of the inside track. He said, I don't know, John, we cut it the other day in 4-4. Four, four. It made him nervous, the 7-4 thing made him nervous. So I said, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not looking to gift horse in the mouth with a Klieg light here, you know, whatever yeah, yeah. you want to do, you knew what to do. So then they cut it with a drum machine, then they cut it uh, with the live band again, and all right, well, you know, and we're calling every day, trying to find out if they were going to actually, if they, did they cut it, do they like it, is it going to be on the record? Well, ultimately, yes, yes, yes. Uh, what, is it going to be a single? Uh, don't know about that, but it's going to be the title of the album. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. So, and it was the single. Yeah. All those things, right? It wasn't a huge hit for her. It made it to like number 29. And um, there's a f funny story about Russell wanting to know what I thought of their version of it. Mm -hmm. And they wrote kind of a whole other instrumental break in it, you know, which which I think is fine now. At the time, it was like, hey, man, what's the matter with a horn break? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So um, that's kind of a funny story about that. But, but what happened was my publisher called and said, hey, um, whatever the agency is that does close-up toothpaste is interested in using the song because it was really close to get closer, get yeah. close up. Right. Oh, that's okay. That's easy. And so we did that, and um, and it was a commercial that ran for like five years. But all of a sudden, it's on television. It's a close-up toothpaste commercial, and here I am as a singer on the jingle mm -hmm. with my wife 
and these other guys and the producers like, hey, so uh, congratulations on the <laughs> on the commercial. It's like, I don't know, you yeah. know, but it's like, wow, what would that would that be cool or what, you know, and. It's like, yeah, it, it, it was. It was great. I wish I'd have known at the beginning of the five years it was going to run five years, because you never know. You know it's all no, like, ka -ching, ka -ching. It's renew, you get renew, your renew, renew, renew until it doesn't renew anymore. Right, right. So <clears throat> what happened along those, during those years, <clears throat> it was a lot of studio work. Right. Um, and one of the studio players um, was a fellow named John Jennings, another fellow named Robbie Magruder, uh, a fellow named J.T. Brown, a fellow named Wade Matthews, all these guys who ended up being in my bands, mm -hmm. and I'm down at uh, with Bill and and uh, and Joan, his new wife, down at the beach. He says, "Hey, um, Marjorie, Margie, uh, the gal that runs the business, who's also working at this uh, place in D.C. Her day job was uh, for the." Arco Foundation, it was called, and it was the philanthropic arm of the R.J. Reynolds mm -hmm. money. And there's a girl that's been working in the office three days a week, or I don't know what she was doing. She was an office worker. Yeah. And uh, she writes songs, and she's really good. We went and saw her at uh, this this place Gallagher's the other night mm -hmm. in D.C. So we're down at the beach, and I'm on the phone trying to find out what's going on and get closer. Yeah. And uh, Bill says, so this gal's coming down, this Mary Chapin, uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter oh, gal. Shit. She's going to come down and play some songs tonight. So, and I remember that night, this very shy uh, young gal was sitting on the porch and yeah. playing these amazingly great folks. Uh -huh. Yeah. And uh, so John Jennings, who I knew from doing the jingles and stuff, and then was playing in my band, ended up producing her, Yeah. sold everything, built a studio in his basement to record a record with her yeah. that was sent down to Nashville that was picked up by CBS. And they started doing shows in the mid-80s. Right. I came on around 87, playing some of the piano, when she added a piano player, and then uh, I left for about two years because I was doing a record out in Los Angeles. Many of these songs that my band still plays to this day, even here. Um, but when I came back in the in 1990, we were all on the bus with uh, yeah. Mary Chapin, and uh, her John Denver tour was with Vince Gill, and we opened. We had our 40, her 40 minute bulletproof set uh -huh. uh, opening for for Vince Gill yeah. at these huge arenas and I remember after a couple of years of that we were about to go on and it was an announcement or something or whatever it was it became clear that it was no longer mostly Vince's fans in the Coliseum it was, it was, hers. It was half and half yeah. and that was that felt like a destination to me of course it wasn't my it wasn't my act no, i'm a mere guy in the band but it was a very gratifying feeling of 
I had something to do with this. You had something to do with that. And yeah. um, this is cool. So, you know, in this summer, I'm going out um, for the last time because um, it's been 30 years. Mm -hmm. I figure that's a nice round number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on Mary Chapin's tour this summer. And uh, Good for you. And Good for her. Been in all, all along. There's everybody and anybody who's doing a, a cool record and or a show or you know uh, soundtracks or yeah you did a soundtrack for a children's book right i've done several yeah done several yeah yeah <laughs> That's cool. that company's down in uh, norwalk yeah um weston woods they do a weston lot of weston woods oh yeah they do a lot of stuff for scholastic that's right mm -hmm. that's right yeah i love doing that uh, you we're talking about all your experience through however many years now 30, 40, 50, 45 years or so. <laughs> Ouch. Well, I wish yeah. I felt like that. It doesn't. But and you're t and you're talking. You're 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 working with all these big names and people who are uh, Mary Chapin and Russ Kunkel, who was apparently your ex-wife's cousin. It, yeah. I mean, Russ Kunkel is. Ten points. I've seen his name on Dylan albums and everywhere. Oh yeah, and he plays on uh, Mary Chapin's record. Yeah, Mary Chapin her, Carpenter and John Denver and. Do you ever get starstruck? Like, you sit back and you think, oh, holy mackerel. Um, or like, boy, I'm really lucky, or whatever that is, you know? It's, you know, that, to me, that's, um, I get curious. Yeah. You know? Um, the, best, the best sort of uh, working with the greats kind of thing um, I, I'm not, I never get, I never feel cowed no, in that not way. Th not, not that not you cowed. should. Cowed's not the right word for it. I mean, it's not like, like, but, you know, like folks who you'd really want to get to know. It's like, it, it's, it's art, right? And it's music art. and art, it's like, you have that. In, 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 in art and, or liking anything is that that's, that's artist's, you that you gave it. I don't need That's to it. meet Bob Dylan. I like his. I've got his records. Yeah. You know, um, and and a lot of that goes without saying. But the thing that is the most entertaining, I guess, or mm -hmm. thrilling. Yeah. Biggest hoot, the gas, the bunk, is being able to. It's these oddball intersections. Um, where you hear the the guy that just came off a of Prince's tour, yeah, and he's got like a really great anecdote about Prince that he tells you, yeah, that's a completely different story than the last Prince tale that you heard. That's con completely different and from a completely different mm -hmm. person than the other Prince story that you heard, yeah, but they're all real consistent, yeah, and you realize. Okay, that's cool. I don't need to ever meet Prince. I worked in a studio one time. We did a, a, a mm -hmm. thing with John Gorka uh, oh, yeah. record yeah, yeah. Uh, at Paisley Park. Uh, we were on the road, and I think John was in, in Minnesota. But the uh, those okay the <laughs> the ultimate the ultimate one of those wow. 
Uh, and it, well, you know, what did you do lately? Were you doing anything interesting? Yeah, I was in Rodney Dangerfield's band last. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was just in the studio um, with Mary Shaven Carpenter. Yeah. With, you know, well, in the studio, out. in the studio is interesting. You know, studios is odd. The studio can be anything. You can play on a bunch of records and never, and never see them. I'm on a record was, with yeah. Dr. John. I've got a great story about Dr. John. Oh yeah. That I, I won't. That's what I won't bore get you closer. With, with sounds now. a little like Dr. John. Well, we were. Yeah, Dr. John and I were. were uh, we were uh, on a show together, it was a long time ago, and um, he just had this, we, he had this wonderful story that he was, we were bitching about drummers. Yeah. And um, I was waiting to go on and he just, he just kept bitching about this one drummer that he had just sat in with mm -hmm. at McKell's up in New York and the guy wasn't. He was playing these fills that were so sideways that he couldn't keep track of where the downbeat yeah, was yeah, yeah. <laughs> coming. And it's just a funny story. The funniest story, and and one of the most sort of yeah, it's not just myth about this person; it's for real. Right. Was working with Rodney Dangerfield. Mm -hmm. So I have the the dubious distinction, but the 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 glib pleasure of being able to say that I've worked with both Rodney's, Rodney Crowell and Rodney Dangerfield. Mm -hmm. But the Dangerfield show was again at Constitution Hall and it was two shows in one day and he was a, com he was a complete wreck. He was brilliant, yeah. but he was a complete wreck. And it was one of the, if you can, reconcile those two things, which in showbiz you can. You can. He gets on stage, he was brilliant. Everything around it was as if, speaking of like your front office sabotaging you, yeah. I kind of thought, this is real. He doesn't get any respect. <laughs> no. He doesn't get any respect. <laughs> this isn't something he made up. He doesn't get any respect. Yeah. This is hilarious. And, and that day, which one of these days I'll stand on a stage and just act it out. But it was one of the most entertained days of my life. Mm -hmm. And that's just amazing to me because I really feel like, okay, I saw the other side. Yeah. I saw the other side. I saw everything from the call girl to the, the Samsonite that is full of stuff that you wouldn't think was in there. Right. And it's just great. The awestruck thing, this, you know, um, I tend to go into the White House, uh, meeting, having the chance to meet Bill Clinton a couple of times and play for him. I get a feeling of very, of, of reverent awe in that yeah, regard yeah, because yeah. I think those folks, I love, I, I am an artist and, and I, I think that I, I know, I know what it is that you have to do in the way that you have to be or in the way that you can't help but be. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not out there, you know, the, the runner sometimes will pick you up and say, you ever work with such and such? You know, uh, yeah, you know, what, what an asshole. You know, she got in the other day and she went and I said, you know, what did you say to her? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, all I said was, Gee, those are crazy-looking shoes you were wearing on the CMA awards. And I said, "Yeah, well, Watch she just wanted to get to the hotel, you know." Yeah. 
Um, so we're all just real people. Every, every, we're all bozos on this bus, you know. Yeah. And I, and I know about the artists, but but it's the folks who are on the front line of of um, the government, and that's hard, man. You know. Yeah. Uh, folks, uh, Reverend Barry Lind, former uh, head of uh, American uh, uh, separation of church and state. Oh. Um, the, uh, and I beg your pardon, Barry, I can't remember the uh, AE, AU, Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. Yeah, yeah. Um, got to do a show with him and then go out afterwards yeah. and talk about real issues. Real issues, substance. Talk, yeah. Uh, yeah um, those are the times that I, yeah. that I, I get home feeling a glow because I got to spend some time with somebody and talk about real important shit. <laughs> real important shit, yeah. yeah. So some would say, I mean, you could say you've had a charmed life, but you're a working stiff. You're a journeyman. I'm a working you, musician. You're, you're a working musician. These days. Who just these happens days. to be, have been in that realm where all the, or all this real heavy duty talent, and you're a heavy-duty, talented person. Well, I appreciate that. Thank well, you. the Grammys tell you that you, know, <laughs> you weren't just. You know. I, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And yeah, yeah. I, I, and I you've do been... a lot of writing. All these things, these are all songs. Yeah, trying, you've been you know, finishing a record now, and it's um, as anybody knows, it's like it's like doing your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the part <laughs> we don't know you about. You got to get it all oh, together. You got to get it yeah. just right and get it out of here. That's the know? part a lot of people don't see is what really goes into putting out. A product like that, it's like, oh well, this is a groovy tune, and you just pop these things out, and no, no, you sit in the studio here in the dark, and you crank, and you work on a riff, and you keep working on it until it sounds right, and yeah. then you have to, you know, it's 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 a real it's a real work. It's work. It's work. It's work. It's fun. You know, I, I've always and it's uh, fun. You said that earlier. So, it's I'm happy. Yeah, you know, I mean, when especially performing, it, that's that's the only time. And people say you really look like you're having a good time. It's like whatever I look like, I I just am celebrating the fact that it's the one time I kind of feel like I'm in one place doing one thing, and it's just the thing that I kind of know how to do. And you're right where you're supposed to be. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. You know? And and that that's what is great about music, you know. Yeah. You listen to any of these guys, you know, Janis Joplin when she was talking, you know, I think there's one great interview with her, Dick Cavett asked her something. It sounded kind of like a dumb question, which was, you know, what are you thinking about when you're Well, I asked I asked you the dumb question. You got the Grammy and you're in your bedroom with nobody around. What are you thinking about? Yeah. He's like, I, <laughs> boom. You know. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about who it is that I was lucky enough to bring back to my bedroom. <laughs> well, okay. But, you know. We're yeah, 19. Well, we're 19. 19, and it's an afternoon, de afternoon delight. I mean, you know, boom. That was so funny because in those right days, in, the, in those days, it was like, wow, I'm too young to really enjoy this, you know? Cause I, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I was 18 and 19, but I looked like I was about... 14, you know. Yeah, and, uh, but still. Yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And you said earlier, you're, you're, you're happy. Why not be, you know, boom. You know, if you're, you can, you can work on something and not know what the, 
end result is, and all of this is really working, any kind of art is, you know, working for the result, we're working for the result right Here. now. You yeah, know? yeah. But um, Alice Coltrane, it was, I think the anniversary of her death and NPR played an excerpt of a, mm -hmm. an older interview with her and she says, I don't really, the success of a record, I'm not really concerned about that. Yeah, I've never done it for that. Uh, I I enjoy the process. I right. am in it for the process. And it's within you. And, and you and you get it out. Yeah, and that's so cool. And and you you you're riding along with that so intimately. Yep. You lose track sometimes. This is the torturous part. You think this sucks. You know, this is not, this isn't, I'm so tired of this, and this, and this is like, this is boring me, whatever, and this is all just you creating. Right. But to the person that, that's never heard the thing that you're creating, they, they haven't the slightest idea. Of what, what goes into it. Or why you're feeling like that. Yeah. And then you finally, you push through it, and you finish it, and you play the song for somebody. And finally, you kind of get this feeling that, hey, this ain't so bad. Not so bad. <laughs> this is pretty so good. This you is know? pretty good. Well, it, yeah, it's good because you busted your ass yeah. doing it. You might have thought it sucked all the time you're busting right. your ass, which is making it be a hard task. And it isn't always fun. It's no. work. You're pulling your but ears it, off trying to do it right. But, you but know? in the end, the story gets told. In the end, you created something that didn't exist before, before you created it. Right. That's magic. And it adds and it adds something to yeah. our collective experience. Well, I, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, people can get something out of it. That's people when, get something out of it. That's the only to, to me that's that's why it just takes me a long time to 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 do that. Yeah. Is that I don't I started writing a song the other day called uh, Airport Airport Concourse Culinaria. Mm -hmm. A full tilt nine course meal to scare you about eating at the airport, right? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't, that ain't going to mean anything. No. You know, I might write it and take 20 minutes to write it and it'll be fun to, to mm -hmm. play it real quick in a set or something. But I you might. Called, oh my God, I just said awesome, you know, about yeah. how words take over and become like the word that, you know, like but you might. Seven. But you also might swing back to. But the song you were feeling when you were writing that. I what? guess, yeah. But I it's was like, feeling you want the song to say something. You want the song to say something. If I'm saying something that any other dude can be saying, yeah. you know, it's like, well, what, no, it's already been said, or it ain't worth saying, yeah. or everybody already knows it. So why you got to say it? But no, it's and and sometimes you got to trust that. You know, it's like, okay, wait a minute. This is, this kind of feels like something. And you're the one who gets to say it. I, yeah, sure. I just. You're I'm, the one who gets to say it. I'm, oh. I'm interested in the thing. Yeah. I'm interested in the thing getting done. Right. And, and it comes down to, ain't nobody else going to do it but me, this right. particular thing. So yeah. it's, it's up to, it's up to me to, to do it. And um, once it's done, great. Uh, I get to sing it like I enjoy singing yeah. anyone else's. And you tune. get to share it with everybody else. 
and then we get the yeah, and maybe it maybe goes, it, it's like maybe ripples. it means something. Yeah, know. no, well, I mean, it, even at it, it long it's got to mean something first when you're doing it, though. You know, it's not right. going to mean anything. Yeah, I think you know, every now and then you can toss something off. Instrumental music is yeah is is amazing in that way. You know, great composers uh, that okay, you there's something going on here. You don't know what it is, but you've decoded something that's going on. It's a mystery. And it's a mystery. Yeah, yeah. it's a mystery. John, yeah. thank you for thank you, Ted. This was taking fun. the time thanks, of your busy schedule and for, uh, talking about up all, with this. all the blah, 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 blah. Well, no, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's been a privilege, as they say. And, Likewise. Uh, here you are in uh, Eastworks. And yes, indeed. Come and see us in Eastworks. We've got... Uh, Brave Soul Productions on my group, uh, Brave Soul, and I play solo as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but we're over here. Uh, come make some music. And you can access uh, your website, johncarroll.org. Thank you. Very and much. you can learn more about uh, what what this man has been all about, well, and what he's done. Listen to some music. And listen to some music. So, from all of us to all of you. I'm still Ted Perch, and I'm still the host of this program, and thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.